Hello, hello. Welcome to episode three. My name is Michelle. I'm here with my lovely co-host Vaughn, and this is Unpacking the Home. So if you were with us for episode two, uh, thank you for sticking with us for episode three and coming back. Um, That was, what was that one? Home as Structure. I can remember a week beforehand. Uh, Home as Structure. So uh, when I finished the edit, I kind of had some additional thoughts that I think we could easily talk about, um, that, but that we didn't get to in real time when we were recording episode two. Um, so I'm just going to bring those up real quick. Uh, one thing that I think when we were talking about kind of the whiteness of claiming territory and, you know, English settler colonialism and all that stuff, um, kind of towards the end of episode two, I started thinking about this book called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, who I believe is like an Israeli professor. Um, I hope I'm not wrong on that. Um, But it's basically like this anthropological kind of zoomed out analysis of the history of Homo sapiens from like as far, 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 like, like prehistory, like, how did how, like our relationship with Neanderthals and our relationship with other, I guess, sapien esque uh, creatures like kind of our sibling species, um, and something that really uh, jumped out at me when reading that book is that Homo sapiens, we we are destructive, and we basically wiped out <laughs> all of our sibling species pretty brutally and pretty quickly and every place on earth that we went to saw mass extinction and mass changes in the land and so I, I I was just thinking about that when we were talking about kind of the destruction of of indigenous cultures and you know indigenous ways of thinking when English settler colonialists came uh, to America so that's a concept that I have struggled with, with um, tr- like movement across the world, right? Because then there's Jared, there's Jared Diamond's guns, germs, and steel um, theory, where that was huge to like kind of track the transatlantic shift of you know guns, germs, and steel. And there's problematic elements to that argument. And there was another professor who gave uh, a different article that kind of counteracted that and said like not only guns germs and steel but stress of colonialism so there's it's I've struggled with this concept for so long though because it's like yes we have human history and we have human migration and that's a significant part of being human in my opinion like where you have the migratory like the migration you have the expansion outward from Africa you know going back to the the very origin creation myths of who we are it does have to do with moving land putting your home or being nomadic like it has to do with like that movement for whatever reason and so that is the biggest struggle when putting that into the context of settler colonialism because it is you have settler colonialism you have the transatlantic slave trade you have all of that that is huge and enormous and has pain and trauma and specifically genocidal implications and 
the worst of the worst of human while also continuing what it means to be human at the same time. Um, So good point to bring up of the different, I don't know, humans trying to find different structures, but then having an impact on the the land and the peoples in which they're trying to inhabit. That is a fundamental classic human experience. Um, You're right. And then it's hard to not say that and then also beware of diminishing or yeah diminishing the impact of what colonialism has has happened um yeah absolutely yeah and I I, I, yeah I wasn't meaning to diminish that what my my thought was it's just so human like for like this is just what we do and it's really unfortunate and it's shitty and I wish we didn't wipe out all these other species of other sibling species and like just like you know there there were like birds in New Zealand that no longer exist because of us <laughs> like millions of years ago coming to to New Zealand so yeah it's just it's it's kind of human nature like you said and uh but i i also think that we do and part of the sapiens book is talking about kind of the the rare magic of our cognitive revolution where we Mm. we just we have this this really special thing that not many other species have i mean some other species can be really really smart but not quite there was something different in our evolution that led us to how we are now so it's kind of this battle of like our human nature our instinctual biochemistry and our cognitive abilities to be like well no but that instinct we shouldn't follow that we should we should we should be better actually um so yeah i I think that's kind of where we are right now because there are a lot of people in a lot of sectors of our culture that are like no we need to follow our instinct and then other sectors that are like no no no, but why can't we improve why can't we be better why can't we reject that yeah following human nature with mindfulness and maybe consideration and regard for the yes. outer and the others is where we're maybe currently at in our human evolution where we're like yeah we have the human nature and yes we have these like patterns in humanity but at the same time maybe this could be the dawn of a new age where we consider the implications and our the impact um of our natural expressions and speaking of natural expressions i mean for episode three thank you for being here thank you for continuing on um for episode three we're going to talk about home ownership in the self so yeah like being human and having my selfhood and my personhood and how is that tied to where I want to move how I want to move where I want to live um is what we're going to be kind of looking on looking at today yeah, and that's actually a perfect segue because the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about from last episode ties directly into this, which is we talked a little bit about plantation slavery and kind of the home structure of that. And it kind of dawned on me that, I mean, part of this American dream and part of home ownership is also a marker of citizenship and humanity. And yeah, I mean, if the goal is to own yourself and to own your life, 
someone else can't own you and can't own your life. And so, yeah, like that position of enslaving other humans was very obviously dehumanizing for so many reasons, but it, but it also took their own ownership away from them. And so they, they couldn't participate as people and they couldn't participate as citizens because of that. I mean, partially. Um, there, were, there are a lot of things, horrible things going on, but I mean, that's definitely part of it. Yeah, I mean, to state the very obvious fact, you did not have enslaved people owning land. You did not have enslaved yeah. people owning their shanties or their shacks or their bedrooms or their houses that they were living in. Um, at a fundamental, basic citizenship level, they were denied human status, human dignity and hu- like manhood, personhood status. And one of those ways that they were denied that was not being allowed to be homeowners legally. Mm -hmm. So it was a legal barrier to personhood and citizenship status all in one is also homeownership related. Absolutely. And another thing is that because the American dream is kind of education, homeownership and business. And they 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 were the business, but they didn't have any ownership of their labor, of their work. And and it was it was the white plantation owners and slave owners where their home was their business their home was their income and their economy yeah i mean and we could even can let we can segue into um citizenship because i also in my research on this one of homeownership in the self uh citizenship and homeownership status did come up so going into the relationship between citizenship and homeownership there was this study um, that Miranda Reyes, A. Hudson, Yao, Blesner, Snipes, et al. did a report on the self-rated health by citizenship and homeownership. So how you perceive and are experiencing your health in relation to being a homeowner, they kind of did this study. And so what they found was while homeownership is protected of self-rated health, so like homeownership is a good thing for an indicator of good health, um, not meeting the American dream of homeownership may be embodied more in, in the health of native-born citizenships as failure and translate into poor self-rated health. So, like, on one hand, you have homeownership being a strong indicator of, of health status. So you have a healthy, mm-hmm. like, that is a thing where there's a good indication if you're a homeowner, you might have a healthier status as a, as a person. Um, However, if you don't have homeownership in a society that prioritizes and values and puts emphasis on homeownership as success and you don't achieve that success, then that translates in and of itself to poor self-rated health if you're not a homeowner. Yeah. So it reinforces through success that homeownerships have better health. And then if you don't have a homeownership, then that failure or perceived failure translate to poor self-rated health. Um, And this kind of, uh, like this study, I also related it to, there was this other one for Jacobin. There was this Jacobin article that talks about how um, one of the biggest factors of renters losing their homes or homeowners losing their homes are medical bills. And so there was this correlation in my mind of like, it's not just housing 
it's not just medical it's not just education it is like a trifecta of of all these things together yeah and when I was I was thinking about I don't even know where in my notes I said this but somewhere if I were to lose my job I'd probably lose my house pretty quickly within within six months um and part of that is because and I don't know if this is standard but my mortgage company you can't pay your mortgage with a credit card it has to be actual funds that you have in a checking or savings account somewhere that you just transfer to your mortgage company um and that's a problem because you know people who do have big medical bills or people who have car bills or vet bills or they have to take care of someone else yeah i mean you can put all that stuff on the credit card but you got to pay that at some point and and if you don't have enough funds in an actual checking or savings account to pay your mortgage that's a big problem and there and there's really isn't any way to solve that without just more money so so it happens pretty quick yeah it happens rapidly and that it it happens rapidly and it's kind of shocking um i mean it's shocking and it's not shocking right that that if the american dream is associated with homeownership as success you do kind of have to be a successful person in every other aspect of your life in order to yeah. be a successfully to be a successful homeowner like you have yep. to be a successful job holder you have to be a successful financial manager you have to be a successful um and wealthy person who has much more additional funds as an aka not a rent bur- burdened individual which is what i just came across and i was like oh i'm a rent burdened individual rent burdened individuals are people who pay more than 30 percent towards their rent of their total income per month yeah i definitely pay more than 30 percent of my total income per month and that's why i'm currently um that's why i'm currently considering if keeping this solo apartment where i've i have identified my solo apartment even though I'm rent burdened as a as a feat of success as an achievement like I've been like yes I'm living alone I'm paying rent on my own I'm paying utilities on my own and my burden yes you know is Mm -hmm. it is it still worth it and am I still feeling successful and achieving something yes however I'm re-examining that because I'm like well if I'm a successful renter but I'm rent burdened and I'm not putting away money, then actually this is not an achievement or an success in in the longer scheme of things if I'm trying to save up for an actual homeownership house. Like maybe, but even even if I'm not saving up for a homeowner, like even if I'm not saving up for a house, um, I'm not saving right now. And that's also, I'm, I'm in this precarious position of redefining my understanding of success is my val is my definition of success being a single cat snake mom who lives alone who pays rent and everything's on time and I'm slowly building up stuff but I don't travel I don't own a home I'm I'm not buying you know excessive things I'm not going on massive trips like I'm just maintaining like I'm just Mm -hmm. maintaining rather than building so redefining my understanding of success and, and redefining that, I'm like, okay, 
would it be tragic if I had to move into an apartment or a house with another person? Would it be tragic if I look for cooperative housing again as an adult who is living where I'm paying like 600 bucks or 700 bucks a month per rent Mm -hmm. and then I'm saving up the additional whatever I'm paying extra here and that and then that would actually allow me to like go over that hump would that be successful but at the same time like re-examining my understanding of success because I'm I'm looking down that barrel right now and I'm like that's scary for me that's scary for me to be like Am I going to have to live with strangers again? Am I going to have to go that route in order to lift myself up? Mm-hmm. Is that is that the only option? And how am I trying to understand my understanding of success with that? Yeah. I'm in a little bit of a similar boat in that, you know, my dad's going to move out of here at some point, um, probably within the next couple of years. And... I don't think I'm going to be making enough to do the mortgage on my own. So I'm going to need a roommate. And that is a scary thought for multiple reasons because I'm like, I don't want to do that again. I did that for so long in my 20s, college, grad school, post-college. So, you know, it it just kind of sucks to have to like find a stranger and hope that they pay their shit on time and hope that they're like cool and chill to live with. But then there's this added layer of like, now this is actually my home that I'm inviting the stranger into. And if they destroy their bedroom, I can't just move out of here in a year and, oh, landlord will fix it. The property management company will fix it. I have to fix it. (laughs) So that sucks. Um, and, and, And this landlord mentality starts to creep in where you're like, well, maybe I'll charge them a little bit extra because what if they break something? And then you're like, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Again, it's like that battle of like greedy. I want extra money. No, I need to be a good person. I need to be a good human and just charge the rate and not try to exploit this person, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, those are definitely things that I struggle with. And I wish, I don't know if at any income level, except for like the ridiculous like Taylor Swift's of the world um shout out I love you Taylor um but (laughs) (laughs) uh I don't know if 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 those like financial anxieties ever really stop I mean I'm sure there's some sort of salary level where it does but I'm not making incredible money but I'm making like a real living wage which is fantastic for the first time in my life no complaints about that but but there's always something more there's always like this extra expense where I'm like oh if if I made you know fifteen thousand dollars more or twenty thousand dollars more then I could afford the house by myself but I'm sure if I were to get to that place then I'd say well if I only made twenty thousand dollars more then I could go to Italy for two months a year I could get a new car I could get those like incredible on-stage Beyonce seat you know what I mean like there's always just another mountain to climb so I don't I don't know I don't know if that ever stops like what salary level are you just like I'm good yeah I don't know I don't know either and like I mean yeah I don't know either but it's definitely impacting um my relationships and like it definitely impacts the 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 relationships that I'm having like even right now um like I just 
yeah, like recently a relationship kind of came to a head about it a little bit because I was dating somebody and I was very much so maybe a little bit too materialistic, maybe too much home on the brain right now. But it was also like, okay, if we say that we're doing this thing, then let's let's like start doing this um, project where you know, you, we live together, we save together, we, we can like do this like incremental building. And that is what building meant to me in that moment where like, you want to talk about building a relationship and committing. That means like moving in, sharing financial resources in order to like do better, be better, have more money, share more together. Um, and unfortunately that like had a negative impact on the relationship because like I had all these financial expectations, this financial timeline, this financial um, expectation and timeline and burden that I was like trying to fit a romantic partner into. Like I was like, if you just came in with like five or 600 bucks a month and we had a one bedroom, like we can make it work, you know? But then Mm -hmm. that was me having an undo unnecessary but kind of necessary for like personal survival in this economy too where like I'm wrestling with my want and need to like personally survive personally thrive have saving money being like what is a romantic partner for yes it's for romance yes it's for companionship but yes it's for financial building and stability which is like but uh it made me so fucking sad because at the same time like I just kind of felt like I shot a relationship in the foot because I called it to such a place at such a time that was like I had all these anxieties these financial pressures these financial understandings these financial hopes and dreams that I'm trying to like put somebody else into a slot that they weren't ready for weren't expecting it but then I had all this homeownership baggage or like this this dream this that kind of put me into a tizzy of wanting to put somebody into a position in a dating realm that was like it made it so confusing it made it so convoluted and you know maybe it's also like that wasn't the person to build the dream with like that wasn't the ideal partner to like match up with and to build with and to like do Mm -hmm. what I was kind of thinking but it was a little bit of a reality check of like okay what is what am I doing? What am I in relationships for? Am I? Because I was like, maybe if I, I'd rather live with a romantic partner than live with a stranger. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so now I'm like, all right, well, would it actually be better to live with strangers? And then you just have romance be romance and then have it completely separate. So that's also I don't I don't know if there's ever amount of money where people get to in their life that their home and relationships and if it's ever enough like if it it, yeah because now I'm even like well I don't think the heart of I mean like I think the heart of it was saving but I'm also like I don't know if I want to live alone like I don't know if that's Mm. like if I want to live alone or if this is like a real achievement to live alone if I'm not actually building toward anything or if I'm not in community or if I'm not yeah um if I'm not building, because, like, right now it's just sustaining. So I don't know if there's ever a point where it's, like, yes, this is enough money where I don't think about these things. I don't, <laughs> like, we're not there yeah, yet. But I, 
I think that's a really common thought. I mean, I've certainly had that thought where I'm like, yeah, it'd be great to have a live-in boyfriend. It'd be great. Like I even said last episode, when I picture my life 10 years down the road, I'm making X salary. My husband is making X salary and together we can do X, Y, Z. But that's the picture, right? Because if it's just me and just my salary, that cuts your options in half. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like you. <laughs> so. You're like, we're 1950s yeah, I mean, on the dating market being like, <laughs> what is your financial prospects? Dude, we should start a dating show that's like the price is right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, dude, it could work. See, and that, that was always also, like, my thing is I have never really prioritized somebody's financial um, stability or input. Like, I was always kind of like, you do you, and then I'll do the best that I can, and then maybe you can, like, contribute, you know? And I, but I'm starting to realize more and more um, that, like, it matters. It does. <laughs> it does matter. This world was built for married couples. <sighs> and that That's hurts. what it was built for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're starting to see this tension in society where there is this movement of, you know, single womanhood is beautiful and it's celebrated and, it, and it's encouraged. Like, you don't need a man. You don't need a relationship. You don't need a partner. And that's beautiful, and in a lot of ways, that's true, like, personally. I mean, it can go too far because we are social creatures. We do need love and companionship, and, and that's also true. But but I like this idea where it's not just 1950s housewife, where, like, you can go have your career, you can have your education, you can buy your own ho- house, home. Um, but that is in direct conflict with the society that we live in and the structure, like, the structure of the economy, the structure of the capitalist kind of view and framework where you kind of do need a partner to financially to be able to do things. So we're in this kind of tense moment where there are a lot more single people and there are a lot more single homeowners, but there are also a lot more people who are struggling financially. And, and if they did have a partner their options would at least increase, if not double, if both people are making about the same. If both people, I mean, yeah, because what you just said a, a minute ago was also like, yes, this economy is made for married people. But now this economy, I mean, like this economy is made for married people who are both working. Like that, That's true, yeah. That is like, we have this fat, fallacious understanding of like the 1950s housewife. That was like a very specific white, upper middle class group, like black women indigenous women brown women like immigrant women all these women were all working they were all working in the patriarchy they're all working class people they were all contributing to the income and plus some for unpaid emotional and um, domestic labor so yeah there was never really a time except for elites except for yeah elites we'll just like elites women to not be contributing to the household but even that's bullshit because even elite women would be contributing to the emotional or intellectual or um, social 
labor that requires to maintain a home and a house and like the community status etc etc so but in this economy in this world yes we we do require partnership we both require like a dual financial partnership input in order to to achieve financial stability and financial wealth and that's really hard to reconcile with um yeah yeah and then the the thought that just come to my mind are like okay the fortune 500 women and the the women who are like bosses and the women who Mm -hmm. I mean like you're a homeowner I have another lawyer friend who's your age who's also a a homeowner like it's Mm -hmm. it's not impossible to gain a financial asset to build that wealth over time but at the same time, yeah, re- restructuring and re-examining like, how our relationships are supposed to be in this. In this. Yeah, and I think we'll talk more about this when we talk about home and family. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it again, it, it is tied to ourselves because, yeah, I have had that thought where it's like, man, it'd be great if I had a romantic partner around here who could help with yeah (laughs) you know I mean you know my dad's great and he's not a stranger um which is fantastic and he does a lot of the physical labor around here which is I'm not sure I'm gonna get that same thing with a with a boyfriend or a husband especially if he's working because my dad's retired so um that's really nice where he's just here all day and he can kind of tinker and do projects and stuff like that but but at the same time, like, obviously, we're not building together. You know what I mean? Like, we're not saving together. We're not, you know, none of our stuff is, none of our accounts are tied together, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have help, but it's not the same as, you know, when you have a person and you're you're doing this thing together, side by side. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I made enough, if I could have a boyfriend who just stayed home and tinkered all day and took care of the kids dude that's the dream like stay at home dad dude sign me up but but see i have to be making enough i know because otherwise it's like that's actually kind of repelling that that idea of like oh i it's just my tiny ass salary holding up four people me him and two kids like uh no thanks and and like that's also something I don't yeah I don't want to be responsible for for holding up that and I don't want a man to be responsible for holding up all that either you know it's exactly ugh okay yeah <laughs> let's <laughs> <laughs> I'm like hot <laughs> me too yeah <laughs> um okay I do have a thought here we could pivot to okay so thinking about home ownership in the self and kind of kind of again kind of analyzing those feelings that i had last week about you know condos versus single family residence and i was thinking okay what do i think of when i think of a homeowner what are the things that i associate with them they're financially savvy they're financially responsible they have good credit they were able to save up and they, you know, they, they made those decisions to save and not be reckless. And so, you know, they were very like focused. 
and and similar with the job like they you know they probably went to college they probably have a great career they probably are really you know they're a great employee and all that stuff and I think that that kind of plays into this idea of your self-worth because if, if if you don't have that you may feel like I'm not financially savvy. I'm not financially responsible. I, I don't have good credit. You know what I mean? I don't have a good career. So I think that can play into your self-worth, even though it shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it plays into the self-worth because we have a social and we have a society that that is where we place our self-worth, is to be yeah. um, a consistent job haver, to be able to mm-hmm. financially understand your credit your like how to how to do credit appropriately how to build wealth and over time and how to have budgets and scheduling and it's this very particular type a mindset of how yeah you need to be in order to be successful so for home ownership in the self something that I also was um finding was the there was a lot of reports and research trying to correlate being a homeowner to homeowner to self-esteem and happiness and is there a correlation between that does being a homeowner indicate health and happiness and self-esteem or not and so what William Rowe and Michael A. Stegman in the effects of ownership on the self-esteem perceived control and life satisfaction of low-income people they say that um, the finding indicates that relative to the control group continuing renters those in a homeowner group did not experience a significant increase in self-esteem or sense of control they did however experience a significant increase in life satisfaction moreover housing condition regardless of tenure was found to influence both self-esteem and life satisfaction so being a homeowner can provide a sense of achievement it can provide a sense of self-esteem as in i accomplished this because it is an accomplishment to be like i maintained financial boundaries i saved up for 30 years i watched my credit i went to my job that i hated every day to to build this up and now i have achieved this however not a clear indication of happiness which is it's that makes sense to me like just because you don't just because you if you weren't happy before you had a home you're not going to be happy after you buy a home it doesn't it doesn't work out like that did you notice for you in in any way that like when you bought the home you you had a a boost in self-esteem or a boost of happiness did anything like that happen uh no and it was kind of the opposite Oh, I mean, yeah. I, it's tricky because I I've talked about this before, but my home buying experience was so rushed that I didn't actually get the home that I had dreamed. I mean, the home buying experience was rushed and my purchasing power was low. <laughs> so it's not like I could go out and buy like this beautiful ranch, you know, like in with tons of land and it's a five bedroom house and you know all that stuff um so I wouldn't say that I was bummed about that because I knew that that wasn't going to be possible especially at my age I was like okay I'm not buying my forever home I'm just buying my kind of starter home which I don't always love that terminology because like sometimes like a starter home can be what someone is working towards their whole life 
and that's their dream, you know? So, um, but, but this is very kind of starter homey. Um, but it, this house also had a lot of issues and I'm still fixing it up. The, there were a lot of cosmetic things that I didn't love that actually caused me stress and anxiety. Like, for example, the floors downstairs were these white, bright white porcelain floors. The kitchen cabinets were black. And I was like, I cannot handle this. This has to change. Like, it's, it, it was like a source of anxiety and stress, like I said. So, but, but then another source of anxiety and stress was, how much is it going to cost to change that? Oh, Ooh, okay. That's that's a little bit of a lot. Um, but I will say now that I'm on the other side of that, where the house is, I've done a lot to it to kind of make it my own. And now I like it stylistically and cosmetically. I do feel a sense of settledness and a sense of satisfaction when I come home. Because now it's cozy. It's comfy. It's mine. So I, I do agree with that. I wouldn't say that I'm any happier I think I'm the same happiness that I've always been. I, I'm I'm pr- I'm a pretty stable level person when it comes to kind of emotions and, and contentedness. But uh, in, but in terms of like overall life satisfaction, that has definitely gone through the roof. Especially probably in the last year or so of home ownership. I've I've been here almost two years, um, and the first year was rough because of all those fixes and changes and. Um, I think I spent like five grand after after moving in on just like the basics, not even the floors and the cabinets and, and everything else. So that's, that's probably another five grand right there. So it's, I've poured a lot into it. But um, but yeah, now I'm at the point where I'm like driving home from work and I'm like, oh, I have this really nice home that's mine. My dog is there. My family's in town, even though my dad's a little bit too close. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I love having my parents in town. We can see each other all the time. I love my job. I love the city that I'm in. So the satisfaction has definitely gone up. But I don't think it's actually related to the house at all. I think it's related to this feeling of being settled and having some level of permanency and stability. Mm -hmm that comes with the house but it's not the house yeah just like a house is a material item and it's like an acquired thing it's not the source essence of the happiness it's like here is the container for the happiness and the contentedness that i've shaped around it and within it and through it exactly yeah yeah that makes so much sense yeah because i think when i moved into my apartment when i first moved into this place like i was struggling in life But this served as like a stabilizing, rooted experience from whence I was coming from. So like it's not like I was moving into homeownership. It's not like I was taking it and like making a life out of it. But it was still coming in, achieving a sense of stability, security for myself. And that in and of itself was it increased my life satisfaction that like it was an indicator that I made the choice I committed to the choice. I was making the actions that were aligned with my values at the time. And I was achieving that. And I got a place for me and for my cat. And it was in a city that it's in a city that I like. And 
So all those things kind of like added up to the the satisfaction experience. It wasn't just, I mean, but not to lie, like it is a beautiful place. Like just like earlier, it's the self-esteem impact. I think I will say that it it has like positively impacted my self-esteem to live in a beautiful place. Like I like Mm -hmm. living in a beautiful home. I like that things are not janky. I've lived in homes that have mold, that have ripped up hardwood floor, that have um haphazard things like jankied up that like you're like where am I living oh yeah I'm like a Victorian house that has been just smacked together for years you know and like so my self-esteem and self-worth I'm not gonna lie they were impacted by the container in which I was trying to operate from Like, it wasn't a gross, dingy place. It was like, no, this is coming from a beautiful hope. Like, I feel good in this. Like, I feel like it's clean. It has space for me to be creative. It's like a good place. Um, And that increased life satisfaction while also increasing the financial burden. So it was like a little bit of both at the same time. Like, how much do I want to increase my life satisfaction? How much do I want to increase my financial burden? And negotiating with that. Yeah, and I think for me, we've touched on this a couple of times, but like even a few minutes ago when you said, you know, I, me, I'm, I'm a homeowner. I'm like, you know, this like boss woman who's a homeowner. But honestly, I do feel quite a bit of imposter syndrome with that because I didn't do it by myself. I had my parents help me. So am I a boss woman homeowner? I, I don't know. I think in some ways, yes, because... I did, first of all, I convinced my parents to help me with this, but, um, you know, all the maintenance and all the decisions, like even those sliding doors behind me, the floors, the paint, the, I mean, the, the furniture, I mean, all that stuff is me. No shade to my dad. He's great. <laughs> Doesn't quite have that like designer eye though. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but he's great with helping me install the stuff that I pick. So like in that way, yes, but in the financial sense, I mean, my friends say this to me all the time because I, I I did, of my friend group, I was very young to get into my own house. So I have friends say this to me all the time where it's like, it's so cool. Like, you're, I admire you. I look up to you. And I'm like, I don't feel like you should because I was actually like in kind of a really struggling situation. And I happen to have wealthy enough parents who... I have a good relationship with and they were in the right place in the right time in their retirement plan so I'm not yeah there there is a lot of imposter syndrome about that yeah no I mean like defining how do we define ourselves in relation to homes right and so Mm -hmm. how you're defining yourself you're like is this is this a boss is this a boss move or was it a well-calculated, well-lucked, well-planned situation that I just happened to take advantage of? Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember what made me think of it when you were talking about kind of the self-esteem yeah. part of it, where to me, I, I I didn't get that boost of self-esteem because it wasn't really just me that did it on my own. And and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm ashamed of that or like it diminished my self-esteem, but it didn't boost it. Yeah, whereas I'm I'm currently wrangling with my self-esteem right now because I am like, okay, if I move into a place with other adults and I pay less, what is that going to do to my self-esteem? What is that going to do? 
is it going to be a regression? Is it going to be um, admitting defeat of financial inability to save? Is it an indicator of failure that I couldn't scrounge, scrabble, and save enough of my, like, my meager salary from the government that, like, I, you know... Is it a reflection of my self-worth to move into a cheaper living situation in order to to have more freedom, to have more mobility, to have... And what I'm coming to is, no, I don't think that should diminish my self-esteem. It just, I have to re, like, reframe my priorities and, like, reframe what I'm actually wanting to focus on and project. Because, like, I have not... Um, tried to convince my parents I've not been like here's this place here I mean like I think I've brought it up to them a couple times and they were like yeah we're not doing that and then I just kind of dropped it but it was um, like I did not do a lot of research I didn't do a lot of um, convincing I didn't do a lot of like yes this is this is exactly what I'm doing for for years and so I think if we're going to talk about home and the self, we can also bring in a little bit of neurodivergency here as well. Because like when we were talking earlier about what it takes, like the financial, yeah, for some neurodivergent people, it might be really great. Like they might have all the spreadsheets, all the facts, all the research, all the, the numbers. They've, they've consistently built up their credit score because they're good with routines and good with numbers. And like they're good at showing up to their job that makes them engineering money, you know, or like, you know, they've... They've done what it takes. And for me as a neurodivergent person, I have, like, I've worked really hard. And especially because I think I have the parents that I have, um, where I've, 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 like, leaned into the institutional experience of life. So I've, I've gotten good at what I need to get good at. But my natural state, and, like, I've been currently examining my natural state versus, like, what it would actually take to buy a home. And I'm like... I don't know like I don't know if I if I have what it takes or not maybe that I don't have what it takes but I don't want to like I don't Mm. like I don't so there's that like one I don't even have the money for it right like there's not even so I'm working class don't have the money I don't have the the 50,000 for the down just sitting waiting for me to like figure it out and then to like step forward to do it but it is like the neurodivergent experience of home instability job instability not having things on time not understanding um, how credit really works and not having the social wherewithal to ask or to have the community to lean on and um neurodivergency comes with emotionals up and downs and like that can be very extreme and destabilizing which is the exact opposite of what you need to have a a long-term budget building process and so I mean I'm sure this is why we see higher rates of homelessness with people who have mental illness or neurodivergency because we just we we're not functioning sometimes at the level in which it would take to um to be a homeowner which I think that that can also go into neurodivergence like shame and like that we're not doing enough that we can't do enough that we can't play the game right like so that's kind of sometimes what I feel about this homeownership process is like 
I would like the success and the achievement and the stability of having a home, but I don't personally know if I'm capable, able, or willing to sacrifice, you know, all the other stuff that I do in this world and this life that doesn't make money but is valuable to me and is that life of not being a homeowner worth more than me sacrificing or trying to be somebody that I'm not in order to own a home. Um, so I've been wrestling with that a bit. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I guess my first my first question to that would be, and this is kind of me projecting my own experience onto you. So keep that in mind. But like for me, when I have those types of thoughts it's actually me self-sabotaging myself and and just kind of closing the door so that I don't try to walk through it and then fail. So, but, but that's just me. And, like, I, I do hear what you're saying, and I do think that's totally valid. Um, but, yeah, that, no, that would be my experience I mean, I think, I think that uh, self-sabotage is something very inherent in neurodivergency. Like, I think that there's a lot of trap doors <laughs> in this brain sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, there's a lot of trap doors in this brain, but it has to do with like, okay, so there are a lot of trap doors. There are a lot of pits to fall into. How do I not fall into those pits while also upkeeping everything else in my life while also being a success in financial terms? And how do I keep my mental, emotional, spiritual well-being all in check while trying to save 500 bucks a month in order to maybe buy a house in 31 years and that's just looking down a long tunnel that I'm like is that a continuous fight that I'm willing to engage in for the rest of my life right now um just to have a financial asset and then a part of me is like no I just need to find a really rich boyfriend who has a house already (laughs) (laughs) no But again, I've never, I've never, that's never been my goal. That's never been what I look for. That's never been like a priority in conversations. I'm like, do you own a home? Do you, how much money do you make? Like I've never (laughs) focused on that. And I'm like, is that where I'm going wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just the weird one who needs a rich one. No. (laughs) Dude, I want a rich chef who also doubles as a masseuse. Wouldn't that be the dream? That is the dream. Amen. God. Yeah. <laughs> so I have some coworkers who are uh, older than us. I don't know how old they are, and I'm not going to guess, but they're, they're older than us. Um, and them and their partner, they and their partner, are renters, and they don't want to buy, I think because of all of the kind of the stresses and the anxieties and the and the burden and the that mountain to climb that you have to climb for a really long time and you have to sacrifice a lot of other things in order to climb it um and it's always struck me as interesting that they're they're they've got to be like middle-aged if I had to guess um and but yeah it's it's but they are taking trips and they are kind of doing this other stuff and I talk about my experiences with the HOA and they're like, yeah, our landlord has to do it because they own the house that we live in. We just rent it. 
so we don't have to deal with HOA. And I'm like, oh, okay, that, that'd be nice. <laughs> like, they're, they, you know, they're definitely, there's, there are merits to, to continuing to rent, you know? And, and I think that these people that I'm talking about, they've chosen to continue to rent because I know what they make and they could buy if they wanted to buy. But for whatever reason, and those reasons are valid, they don't want to. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even an understanding in my in my mind until I read the Tori Dunlap's Financial Feminist book where she's like, how did I make my first 100000 And like, she's very financially savvy and has it all together. And she was the first p- person I've read who was like, yeah, I don't own a home. I'm rich as hell, but I don't own a home. And that's like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, Jeez. yeah, I... I don't want the responsibility. I don't want the financial burden. I don't want the mm-hmm. upkeep. I don't, I like, you know, the ability to move and travel and go to France for a month to stare at a and And like, so I just, there is benefits. There's, there's, there are benefits to, to flushing away your rent every month, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, which is the hardest part for me to, to reconcile with. Cause I, I'm like, okay, how much, how, like, thousands of dollars that I've just like given away that I'm not building equity like I'm not building leverage I'm not putting into my own financial asset um but I'm also more free like more free I don't yeah. know well people like I I've, I've thought about this I am not very mobile right now for the first time in my life actually uh, well my adult life kid doesn't count but um and that has helped with my feelings of settledness and permanency. And I like where I'm at, so I don't want to be mobile for probably another 10 plus years. I see myself just staying right here, and that's it's actually a really nice feeling. Mm. But when people talk about home ownership as this way to build wealth, I think for most of the time it's a way to build wealth. But if you like I, like I said, I was thinking if I, if a recession were to hit a really bad recession, I lose my job. I'm going to lose the house and my house value is going to be way below what I bought it for. So I'm going to lose, I'm, I'm not going to make any sort of profit. Oh, yeah. I'm going to lose all my down payment. I'm going to lose every, all the money that I've put into upgrades in this house gone. And, and, and it's going to be completely red in the hole. And that's a scary thing. I mean, most people who lose their homes, they have to declare bankruptcy because it's just, it it takes everything. Um, and also, I don't know how foreclosure works, but if you, are, if you sell your house, you have to put money into that too. The closing costs, seller's agent. It's not cheap. to It's not $0 to sell your home. You do have to put money into that. Um, usually you make enough money off of the sale that it offsets and you still come out ahead. But if, if shit hits the fan, no, you're just fucked. There's no other way. So yeah, it can be you ca- a great way to build wealth and to build generational wealth, but you, it, it is a little risky, you know, yeah. and especially for people who get adjustable rate mortgages, my parents were fantastic in helping me with that whole process and they really fought for no 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 she needs a fixed 30-year mortgage that interest rate cannot be moving up and down because I have a really stable job but 
I do work for the government. We don't make a ton of money. There isn't, it's not like my salary is going to double in three years. Like it might in the tech industry or, you know, somewhere else. So, you know, if my, if my interest rate is jumping, but my salary is staying the same, I could lose the house and not even be here for five years, you know? So they were really, really great about fighting for that fixed mortgage rate. Um, but, but even with that, you know, you lose your job and you better have enough saved up until you get a new job and you better hope that that new job pays comparable to what your old job made or paid. So it, it can be risky. And, and with renting, you are giving money to someone else every month, but you aren't sinking so much of yourself into this one thing. And if that one thing hits the fan, oh, fuck, now what, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's real because even recently when I've been starting to think about moving again, I'm just like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, like, I'm going to just drop, pop lock and drop it. No, <laughs> I'm just going to like- <laughs> <laughs> twerk my way out of town. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that's where it comes to the whole trifecta again, right? Like you have the stable job, you have the desire to be there for a long time, you're like settled into it and then you're doing what it takes. And then, but if it all comes crashing down, like the American dream is all of these things working for you in one go. Like all of the American dream is being able to have that job, have that stability, have that economy that hopefully doesn't crash but historically we've seen that that's not how capitalism works it actually requires the crash um exactly yeah yeah but the american dream takes all of these working components and that's why i think we also hear the narrative of like people need you know like we deserve the american dream like we deserve um there was this one article that said like so annika olson a cnn article said that like how long we have to take to like achieve this American dream is not okay. Like we, she says, mm-hmm. quote, we as a country need to find a way to allow young people a slice of the pie, an opportunity to grow their wealth and invest in something that is important for their future. The thought of letting young people reach middle to old age without an important stake in the economy is scary to think about. So like the American dream, if we're unpacking it here, and like a part of that is having that working that work like you have the stable work you have the stable routine of like being able to to achieve that within like an an average like a normal amount of time whatever that means and then the ability to actually buy a house within those means and so all of these things right now are destabilized in our economy generally like jobs are destabilized the housing market is destabilized and this is what we're looking at down the barrel of I know I keep saying that but that's what this feels like for me a little bit of like I mean just unpacking the homeownership in the self like it is um daunting to me to look at of like to face within myself my own limitations and my own abilities to achieve this and like recognizing yeah it's daunting Yeah. And and honestly, it was daunting for me too. Like three years ago, I was living in a different state at a different job, was not making hardly anything (laughs) salary wise. 
and was looking at, at different jobs in my field I'm like oh maybe I can move here maybe I can move there and get that job but then I was like well what's the cost of living in that city versus the salary in that city oh hmm okay that salary would be good here in this really small rural town but it isn't good in that big city <laughs> you know what I mean and like I have you know one of my friends is in school wanting to become an animator and they're looking at where where are animation jobs LA San Francisco Boston um kind of those big cities and they're looking at okay how much does an animator make how much does it cost to live there <laughs> oh <laughs> and and like that you know they're very young they're probably I, 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 22 23 maybe and you know they've made comments where it's like oh I'm never going to be able to buy a house I'm never going to be able to do any of that stuff and part of like the elder part of me is like no no like don't say that you know you never know but then I was there three years ago where I was like I'm never going to be able to buy a house and I have student loans this person doesn't have any student loans I have a mountain of student loans um and so yeah honestly it for people who don't happen to have that like generational assistance it is looking down the barrel and and honestly like I was looking down the barrel because I my parents had been kind of clear where they're like we're not buying you a house you know <laughs> things changed unexpectedly and rapidly but again it was like that confluence of everything just kind of came together randomly at the same time into this perfect trifecta and then it worked but that is so rare and and you can't bet on that so and you can't bet your you can't bet your self esteem on that. I think is what we're coming to with no. this as well. Like you can't bet your understanding of self, either good or bad, on one's ability to achieve this specific outcome. Because this, I mean, I think that's what we're kind of working through. My feelings with this, like that's what I'm kind of coming to, is like just because. I have not achieved this doesn't it doesn't indicate it's not an indicator of worth even though no. I, my abilities just haven't lined up with it yeah and I've known people who got married bought a house thinking that those things were going to make them happy like like yeah. those and and it and it they didn't and it didn't work out and sell, sell the house get a divorce I think that for them it was an indicator of self-worth and success and it's yeah. like if I have you know it's like this like American checklist if I have xyz I'm successful I'm worthy I'm I'm this and that but then they get xyz and they still feel the same inside because there's because only their external situation has changed and not them um so yeah it's it's definitely not a marker of self-worth and I think that we are looking at the housing market as it stands currently and thinking oh what a tough road ahead but people came into their homes in so many different ways and it's not always just bootstrap let's let's work for 20 30 years at this job i hate and then get it you know like one of my neighbors she bought her house here during the crash like 2010 ish house was eighty thousand dollars yeah and she said her her monthly mortgage is 500 bucks a month and she had a truck that was more expensive she was like my car payment is more expensive and I was like 
whoa, (laughs) that is okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. But, but again, that isn't, I mean, that's great for her. And maybe, maybe she was financially savvy and, but it also could have been just, again, like random, right place, right time. Things just kind of come together and bam, you're there. And maybe you do have a little bit of imposter syndrome of like, oh, those other people really struggled and they went through it and, and I just kind of walked into it. But yeah, so there's so many different ways that people can come into a home that it isn't, it's not right to kind of put them up on this pedestal of like this, they, they did it, they went through it and they did all these things. Sometimes it can be random. Yeah, that's super fair. Yeah. Well, do you have any last thoughts on unpacking homeownership in the self today, Michelle? No. Yeah, I think we've unpacked a bit of feelings here. I'm a little sensitive today about it, um, mm-hmm. but I think I think this was good. What are we talking yeah. about next week? That's a great question. <laughs> I have to pull it up. <laughs> I think we're talking about homeownership in the community. If I'm, yeah. Yeah, homeownership oh. in the community is what we're going to be going into next week. Okay, that's perfect. I do have one thing that I want to say that I think segues into that. Um, let me bring up my notes. Yeah, I'm going to segue a little bit too because what we were just talking about is that there are different ways, not just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, doing this, because like when I was researching this as well, I also came across um, like the, um, the, her, the, what is it called, shop. It's called Program Shop. It's the affordable housing HUD could improve use of data. So it was like um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development and looking at a couple of their policies that they've rolled out. And one of them is Shop, which is a competitive federal grant program that awards funds to eligible grantees to help develop a- affordable homes for tr- purchase by low-income families. And so that's something I'm excited to next week where it's like it's taking that pulling your boots self pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, which is like problematic in and of itself, but the essence is what we're getting at and taking that and then putting that into a federal program, but also simultaneously a community program because it's community people who are getting grants like Habitat for Humanity, who are going in and building low income homes. And then it's like a communal partnership of affordable housing person and federal government funds. And that Mm -hmm. that's, you know, there'd be feelings around, potentially blocking people from asking for help or reaching out to certain organizations or realizing what resources are available to them in the community so they don't feel like they're alone facing down the bottom of a barrel without you know generational wealth backing them up like that Mm -hmm. we we can say we can next week talk about a little bit more like what are options for people who are not necessarily coming from generational wealth or like programs but then we're also going to talk about like different aspects of living in community and homeownership too yeah one thing that I had written down was about this feeling of of being settled and kind of putting down roots and having this long-term permanency this plays into how invested you are in your community because your community this is now like like I have a home here in my house but this whole city is actually not my home so I care about it now whereas like you know, I've, I've lived other places where I viewed them as stepping stones and not really long-term permanent places. You, I mean, you care just like on a human level, but the investment in your emotional 
uh, connection to that place mm. is not for me was not as deep as it is now where I'm like I live here I work here my kids might go to school here my parents are here you know what I mean like this is this is our home so let's let's be engaged and let's be involved and let's keep up yeah. you know and, and actually try to make this a you know a good place to live so all right well thank you for joining us uh for episode three please come back for episode four. <laughs> we, would, we would love that. Uh, again, you can catch us anywhere you, you get podcasts. Uh, please comment. You can email us at unpackingthehomepod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you feel so inclined to support us on Patreon, we would love that as well. Actually, we should plug our Patreon. We do have some extra features for patrons, like weekly uh, episode notes from both of us extra thoughts i think we've talked about potentially doing a live stream once in a while with our patrons so uh if you do feel so inclined to support us please head over to our patreon get some extra bonus content and uh maybe chat with us once in a while yeah we would love that we would love a little bit of extra support just to keep this going a little bit it's just our little side project so if you're interested in reading our notes and like um how we gather notes and what all the notes that we take that we don't talk about on here because i have pages that i do not talk about when we go on here so if you're interested in reading those or if you're interested in doing like live chats once we have enough patrons like if there's interest in that then we will do potentially weekly live chats and just yeah go from there so we're just figuring this out so if you want to stick along please please do All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.